Hi guys, it's me, back again with another podcast. Um, so today we're going to be doing a review of the book called The Gathering, and it is written by an Inkit author that goes by the name Gabriel Garcia. It is an adventure fantasy novel that is completed with their, um, for, sorry, <laughs> 43 chapters. It has a 5.0 rating with five reviews and it is rated 18 up for age. Um, and to the uh, author, I really had to look these names up in order to be able to pronounce everything. That's nothing, that's not like a bad thing. Like it just, they're very interesting names and I commend you for that. <laughs> so without further ado, we'll get on with this summary. In a faraway land across space and time, tyrannical sorcerer Kairos rules over with an iron fist. His pantheon of warlords enforce his will over the crony who for so long believe all hope is lost. However, one fateful night, the last mate of the crony uses the power of the mystical moonstone to summon champions from a distant world. The power of the stone soon teleports four warriors from Earth during some of the most pivotal battles in human history. Amadai, I believe is how it's pronounced. A Spartan during the Battle of Plataea. Decimus, a Roman on the fields. Canai, Cymbel, a Celt in early Roman Britannia. And Tyra, shield maiden of Viking Siege of Paris. Once summoned, these four champions will meet others like them in this alien world and encounter some unlikely allies, treachery, and uncover the origins of Kairos. In the end, their unity will be put to the test in what a final confrontation with the mad tyrant at Castle Olympus. Will these unlikely heroes work together as one, or will they be forgotten in the sands of time? Um, so one thing I want to say about the summary, specifically focusing on when you introduce these, uh, I, I want to say it's, 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 it's hard to tell how many people there are, because you have Am- Amidas, comma, a Spartan in the Battle of Plati- Plataea, I'm sorry. And then, comma, Decimus, comma, a Roman on the fields, Canai, I think he went of Canai, comma, Sinbel, comma, a Sultanately Roman Britannia, comma, Entira, comma, shield made in the Viking Siege of Paris. Um, I definitely think that you do not need all of those commas because when you ended specifically a Roman on the fields of Canai, comma, Sinbel, I didn't really know if Canai was a place or a person for the first time I read that through. So, I really shouldn't have to, you know, stubble like that over summary. So, I definitely would focus more on putting some periods in there. (laughs) Other than that, you know, the summary was informative. Um, I kind of feel like near the end, you kind of tried rushing some information in there. Um, But aside from that, you know... It's, it's very informative, and, you know, you introduced your characters, which is, you know, half the battle. <laughs> Alright, so, taking a little glance at this, 
there's a prologue and it's um about medium length it's not short but it's not long either so depending on how much time me reading the prologue takes up i'm probably going to read the prologue and then chapter one so the night was cold with bitter winds the icy breeze awakens the creatures of the night begin to emerge from their morning slumber a low howling is heard throughout the forest creating an eerie sense of fear dark shadows wild beasts lack of moonlight all these would all these would make anyone fearful however this was the least of his worries in the moon's twilight a figure sprints of the forest an asian leather book resting neatly tucked I think he meant tucked, but he wrote tugged in his arms. What this book contains is a solution. Enchanted spells. His legs grow weary, but he reaches the heart of the forest. Sweat dripped off his brow. A heavy robe wears him down the minute the hooded figure enters a mysterious, gloomy forest. Ducking under bend branches. I think... I want to say he meant bended branches, but that doesn't also make any sense. Are you trying to, like, reference the low-hanging branches? Question mark. <laughs> and, hoping, uh, and hopping over small streams, the individual sighs as soon as he reaches his destination. The sacred stones of Olympus. The barking of the dogs behind him forces his stress levels to rise. You're kind of overusing your commas a bit, because you had the barking of the dogs behind him comma forces his stress levels to rise comma master sprinting with them close in on him hold on I need to check if I'm like reading that wrong or if it's written weird Okay, I'm back. Um, so no, that's fine. Um, I will say I'm a little confused. Um, but I'm gonna hold back until I read the whole thing. Time was not his colleague right now. Getting on his knees, he removed the leather book and s speeds through the pages. He scans the pages until he finds the right spell titled Time Spell. I'm not gonna try to pronounce that. So I'm really glad that you put- I'm not usually a fan of parentheses. But I just saw that, and <laughs> I felt my eyes kind of go wide a little bit, like, oh boy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, I will say, saying that you're speeding through the pages, as well as scanning the pages, I feel like that's kind of the same thing. You're scanning the pages, you're rushing to find what you're looking for, because um, you're not really looking, like, you're not, like, you're set out for a certain reason of why you're scanning the pages, because you're trying to get to the end. Um, pulling out a red gemstone from inside his cloak, 
He places it in the center of the stones. What others? The Olympus stones? Okay. With palms together, he recited the mantra in his people's ancient tongue. As he spoke, the stones began to turn blue and glow with such brightness and clarity. In the center of the rocks, the rigged outline began to swirl until a portal, a portal <laughs> between time and space erupts. Through this portal, images of battles were visible. He could see everything and needed to choose quickly. Making his decision, he began to recite the final phrase. However, his, fa- his phrase is interrupted by his pursuers, who had arrived at the worst possible moment. The dogs were panting hard and had drool dripping from their muzzles. Their razor-sharp teeth gleamed in the moonlight, and their eyes glinted red. The pursuers were his people, and accompanied by one of the pantheons, Ares, the war god. Ares wore all-black armor and adorned with a shredded cape in the back. He stood around eight feet tall with a muscular build. His arms were the size of tree trunks, legs firm as a stone, and his eyes as bright as the sun. He had a massive beard with dried blood on it, unsheathing his... Zivos? 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 Sword? Yep, we're gonna go with it. He pointed it at the individual. His voice was full of malice and rage. You gave us quite the chase, mage, but now it ends here. Surrender and I will give you a quick death, spoke the war god. The individual remained motionless and continued with the chant. Ares did not like being ignored. He gestures to two of his fellow soldiers to apprehend the mage. As the two got close, they immediately incinerated on the spot. The mage placed a protection spell around the stones, and may have worked on regular soldiers, but would do little to Ares. So when did he put this little protection spell? Because, I mean, maybe that's just, like, not really an important detail, but... I don't know. He kind of like seemed like he was like rushing enough to where he just immediately opened the book and started scanning, and then it doesn't matter. If you want something done right, do it yourself. Ares begins to walk to the barrier. Knowing what would happen, the individual tries to finish the last phrases of the mantra. His heart pounds in his chest as he hears the sound of the barrier breaking underneath Ares' strength. I'm so sorry, guys. (laughs) Fear filled his mind, but he could not afford to make a mistake. Not now. Knowing the barrier will break, the mage finishes the last part of the spell, and the portal blasts up into the starlight sky and then disappeared. Um, only one thing I will say is there's a little bit of repetition. Uh, just with the whole, the barrier will break, the barrier will break, the barrier will break. Um, yeah, so just, like, that's something to watch out for. It left a bluish hue in the night sky, and the mage let out a sigh of relief. He hopes the portal reaches its destination, planet Earth. Before Ares reaches him, he grabs a stone and teleports it away. Enraged, Ares grabs the sorcerer by the neck and slams it to the ground, the force shattered of the stone floor, breaking the sacred site. The sheer power of the slam crushes several of the sorcerer's ribs, and red liquid peels in the corner of his mouth. Ares places blades in the sorcerer's neck and drew some blood. You think you figured it out? But how long are you going to keep calling your champions for help? I feel that that should be a question mark rather than a period because it is a question. It's a mocking one, but it's, it's a question nonetheless. Ares then begins to mock the sorcerer. I would have thought you and your people would have learned your lesson by now. I mean, 
All those deaths were your fault. Have you nothing to say? The man spat at Ares. The man spat at Ares' face as his response. Smirking, Ares picks up the sorcerer and throws him over his shoulder, licking the blood off from, licking the blood off from his sword. I feel like you should just say licking the blood from his sword because it's still the same phrase just without the added word because I feel like the extra word of blood off from it's just a little stumbly so I definitely would take licking the blood off off from his sword and just do licking the blood from his sword so Ares looks up at the night sky he sees a figure towering above him the character was the one and only Zeus I take it you know what just happened said the thunder god it has been years since the Great Purge. We have spent our years fighting nomadic warbands all across this forsaken region. It would be nice to kill some Earthlings for once. In his twisted way, Ares was delighted. He had not killed humans for, for some time now. And the stone? Zeus could see that neither the mage nor Ares possessed the stone, thus still missing. The sorcerer knows where it is, probably hid it back in his village, take him back to the castle and imprison him until further notice. While you're there, get a scouting party and have them search the outlands until they find the stone, orders Ares. Handing the body to Zeus, the thunder god slips away into the night. Turning his back to the sacred stones, Ares wondered what new warriors he and the others would meet. He chuckled at the idea of these new champions putting up a fight and winning. They were like the ones that came before, then they would die like all the rest. Nothing would change, yet nothing is truly set in stone. Nothing lasts forever everything changes um i don't really like the way that that kind of comes off a little contradicting because aries is blatantly like nothing's gonna change like you know it's gonna be the same result i don't know why you're trying and then it ends with nothing lasts forever everything changes but you've already stated that nothing it, it just comes off a little contradicting i know that you, i know it's like the, the effect you're going for but um yeah, it just sounds a little weird with the, those two statements being so close together, in my opinion. Um, there are some grammatical things I've already pointed out regarding the commas, and you know, with the some wordings like you know, off from the sword, it should just be from the sword. Um, also, I'm a little confused about this whole hierarchy business with Ares and Zeus. I know that Ares, I know a little bit of mythology. I know that Ares is the war is the god of war, basically. But I thought Zeus was like the almighty powerful Zeus. Like he is the man that is in charge. He's the one that, you know, gives the orders, doesn't take orders. So I'm a little confused of why Ares is like treating Zeus as if he's, you know, his lapdog. Like I'm in charge of you where it's actually really kind of the other way around. I could be wrong, but, you know, that's just how I've always known Zeus being depicted and you know by all by all means as a writer you can depict these mythological gosh (laughs) these mythological characters as you see fit but I'm just saying it is a plot hole that I think that a lot of people would might bring up also I'm kind of like I like that you did third person because I feel like you were able to get the scenery and you know the other things happening around the uh, mage pretty well but I will say there are some areas that I really had a hard time I felt like it was a little jumpy but I mean like I like the effect you're going for like you know with this being the prologue and you know coming into this 
it's this mysterious mage and he's doing some weird stuff with magic and then, you know, he succeeds. But, um, I guess, like, I guess, like, it's just, like, the world setting is where I'm having an issue with, more so than the dialogue or anything else. Um, and I would like to, when you mentioned the dogs, I would like to have known from the get-go that he could hear the echoing of the dogs barking and, like, looking for a scent. Um, I think that would have added to the drama aspect of it. Because I know you mentioned it later on, but I, w I would like to, like, know ahead of time because he's, like, obviously running around and, you know, he's on his way to go do this mission. And obviously they're hot in his trail. But... I also don't know why, but, like, forces his stress levels to rise. That sentence doesn't really bode well with me. It just sounds kind of weird. But I honestly at the moment don't have any other way you could write it. But it just, it does sound kind of weird. Con especially considering the time line we're in. Y'all should have mentioned the word stones a lot. I know they are stones. Gemstone. Stones. Stones. Anyways, um, so I will, I will read the second, the, the first chapter because that was just a prologue, so I think that that's only fair. Chapter 1, Plataea, 479 BC. Today was going to mark the end of the war. Years of fighting, countless men lost. The burning of Athens had led to this, the last and final engagement of the Persian invaders and the Greek warriors in the town of Plataea. The combined forces of Sparta and Athens created a coalition force of 38,000 strong. Every man in this army wanted revenge for those that died in the Thermopylae Pass and those defending Athens. The Greeks had to win this battle. The Persians lost their entire navy a year earlier and now stranded on the and now stranded on land. I feel like it should be, and now we're stranded on land. However, this is the same Persian army that fought against Spartan King Leonidas not so long ago. You, Leonidas! I'm sorry. <laughs> um, at the Asian town, Asian town of Plataea, the alliance made camp outside the town's walls and waited for the enemy. Hours passed until Greek scouts report back to the Greek commanding officer, Pausanias. I feel like instead of saying Greek twice like that, you should just say reports back to the commanding officer, Pausanias. Because if it's a Greek scout and he's reporting back to somebody, I, I think it goes without saying that it's another Greek person. Who was a nephew of the fallen king, Leonidas. The young Greek was exhausted and needed to rest to catch his breath. Again, you don't need to use the word Greek, you can say the young messenger or something along those lines without saying Greek. We already know he's Greek. Um, what news have you brought? Asked Pisonius. Commander, the Persian army is less than a mile from us. They will be here in the morning, replied the scout. Pisonius seemed intrigued by this news. I definitely would do, replied the scout, comma, Pisonius seemed intrigued by this news instead of period. Or I guess it's fine either way. 
I might be wrong. <laughs> Who is commanding the army? The Persian commander Mardonius, sir. He's in the command of the Persians. Well, yes. I mean, again, like you did with the Greek, if you say the Persian commander Mardonius, then obviously he's in the command of the Persians. <laughs> Pausanias was delighted by this news. The Persian army, again, with rep rep repetition, Pausanias seemed intrigued by this news. Pausanias was delighted by this news. It's just kind of really tedious at that point. There's there's a different way to say this without the repetition. You could say Pausanias was Pausanias seemed delighted to hear this, or whatever, or you know, it does. You don't have to add a reaction every single time. Sometimes just the body language you give the characters or the way they speak can give off the same thing as you saying they were delighted, but you could show it instead of telling it. Does that make sense? The Persian army was less than a mile from camp. He grabbed a cup of wine and gave it to the young Greek. Thank you, boy. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. When I first read that, the moment, the, the, the one thing I thought of immediately was God of War. Boy. You know, I'm sorry. Thank you, boy. Now go spread the word to all the men in the camp of this. You know they are itching for a fight. Let me just reread that again, more serious. Thank you, boy. Now go spread the word to all the men in the camp of this. Now go sp <sighs> That sounds like a mouthful. Now go spread the word to all- Now go spread the word. I think you should just say thank you, boy. Now go spread the word. I know that- um, Go spread the word. I know the men are itching for a fight. That is what I would say instead because it's uh it's less words but it is still you know just as impactful as the original statement the young greek gulped the wine down and bowed before leaving the tent to spread the word again with a repetition Pisonius looked up at the night sky and spoke almost in a whisper to the spirits of the fallen he then pours himself a cup of wine and raises his glass high this is for you all the greeks who have died you will be avenged very soon. All through the night, the scout went from campfire to campfire, reporting his news to every Greek soldier. When the scouts arrived at the Spartan camp, the guard on duty greets him. It was a Spartan soldier named Amidas. Amidas was a handsome Greek with curly brown hair and amber eyes. He was physically strong, in good health, and the youngest soldier in the army. Like all Spartan children, he trained in the Gauge, a lifelong boot camp that teaches young Spartan boys to Spartan men. Mm. He stood around six feet tall and wore standard Spartan armor. From head to toe, he was encased, encased in bronze. Though cumbersome, his training allowed him to move quickly. On his back was a light spear made of sturdy oak and tipped with an iron spearhead. His helmet belonged to his father's as there were signs of battle damage. Amidas looks at the young scout, who was no older than him. The Spartan spoke in a deep voice to make the scout flinch a little. What news have you brought? That's my deep voice. I hope you guys like it. <laughs> the scout stuttered a bit a moment. The scout stuttered a bit a moment. Again. I think you should say the scout stuttered. And then get rid of it in a moment. Because that's kind of wordy, and it doesn't really make that much sense. And then I would do comma. It was his first time meeting a Spartan up close. 
Gathering his thoughts, the scout gave the reply he gave to the others, as well as written confirmation. Mardonius commands the Persian army, and he is less than half a mile away. He will be here at dawn. Make sure you smart and are ready. Thank you for the information. Report back to your commanders at once, said the Spartan in a calm voice. The scout bowed and ran back to camp. The Spartan looked to his left to see the wide open land surrounding the camp, to think that the enemy of the Greeks, who seemed far away, were closer than they initially thought. His anger for the Persians burned inside him. His father was killed along with many others in the Therm Thermopylae Pass. He wanted retribution, and he would have it soon. Amidas then turns around and heads back to his commander's tent. Walking through the camp, he passes his fellow Spartans, boys who he fought and trained with at a young age. Every man in his army was a brother, and they protected one another. All had lost fathers, brothers, uncles, and sons to the Persians. He knew that when the battle commenced, no quarter would go to the enemy. Once he got to the commander's tent, he was stopped by two elite Spartans' pull marks. Those chose to be personal guards of the commanding general. State your name? Asked one of the guards. Amidas removes his helmet. My name is Amidas, and I have information for the general. It's important. Let him through, said a voice inside the tent. The two guards allow Amidas to pass. As he enters the shelter, he bows before his commander, who is in a meeting with his fellow officers. Ash, Ash placed his helmet on the table. Young Spartan presents the document to his commanding Spartan general, Amam Ferritus? Amam Ferritus. I'm going with it. I hope that's right. <laughs> the old Spartan unravels the parchment and reads very thoroughly. Amam Ferritus then passes the information to his officers, and they begin to read it. After a brief silence, one of the Spartans looks up. Is this accurate? inquired the Spartan. Yes, it is, sir, said Amidas. They will be here at dawn. Monopheritus smiles with satisfaction. Finally, the Spartans will avenge their fallen king and brothers of the Thermopylae Pass. Thermopylae? Thermopylae? We're going with it. He turns his attention to Amidas and gives a pat on the shoulder, showing his appreciation. This news pleases me, Amidas. Tomorrow we will avenge our fallen comrades and bathe the ground with Persian blood. Tomorrow we will end this war once and for all. I look forward to it, sir, Amidas said with pride. After his father's death, Amidas rushed into military service. Is that really a choice back then, though? Like, from what I knew, um, Spartans were kind of just... They were, they were raised killers essentially like from they like that was their whole thing is that they like were raised for war am i wrong is, is it do i have wrong information maybe i'm just thinking of the movie 300 too much but i'm pretty certain that the reason why spartans were so feared back then was because they were raised from an age to be deadly killers and they were raised for specifically war. So I don't think that him going into a military career, which I wouldn't even think they would call it a career back then, um, is technically a choice. If I'm wrong, then please let me know in the comments below, but I just don't 
I don't think that I am. <laughs> and I mean, the word choicing, service and career, military service and military career, they didn't have really careers back then. You you worked because you had to, because that's how you survived. Not, not saying we don't work because we don't survive nowadays, but that's how we got grain and that's how we got water and we got meat and you know that's how that they actually had to survive because you know they had to grow everything that they got and whatnot i digress from that though you cannot think of a perfect way to begin his military career that i think you mean he could not think of a more perfect way to begin his military career than being a part of this coalition Getting his, out, getting his helmet off the table. I'm sorry, guys. I need to take a sip of my drink and my throat is really dry. Alright, I'm very sorry about that. I've been noticing ever since I started doing podcasting, my throat definitely needs a lot more attention now. I'm not used to talking this much or for this long. Um, so it's definitely been taking its toll a little bit. <laughs> um, moving forward. Getting his helmet off the table, he puts it back on and bows before leaving the tent. Amalfa Terrace turns his attention back to his two officers and gives them new orders. Tell every man to be ready tomorrow. Have them get their weapons sharpened and their shields polished along with their helmets. No drinking tonight. I want every man sober tomorrow and in fighting strength. Now go. The two officers nod and leave the tent soon after. Another thing I want to mention is I feel like the whole like explaining them leaving and so I'm a little upset because I didn't realize it until a moment ago, but my podcast stopped recording after 30 minutes, and that was about probably 20 minutes ago. (sighs) Yeah, and just so you guys know the kind of perspective that that puts me in right now, um, it is 12.53. So that means if I, you know, already put 30 minutes into this review and then realize 20 minutes later it stopped recording after 30 minutes, you can kind of guess where that leaves me right now. <laughs> yeah. But I put myself back where I was because I'm going to finish this review, even if it kills me. That made it seem like this is a terrible story, and that's not what I mean. I just mean that I am exhausted. But I have to stay up until about 8 in the morning anyways. So, that's why I said what I just said. So without further ado, I look forward to it, sir. Amidas said with pride. After his father's death, Amidas rushed into military service. He could not think of a perfect way to begin his military career than being a part of his of this coalition. Getting his own off the table, he puts it back on and bows before leaving the tent. A Montfortis turns his attention back to his two officers 
and gives them new orders. Tell every man to be ready tomorrow. Have them get their weapons sharpened and their shields polished, along with their helmets. No drinking tonight. I want every man sober tomorrow and in fighting strength. Now go. Um, I do remember a little bit of what I was saying beforehand, which is when it says the two officers nod and leave the tent soon after. Um, I feel like you tell a lot that people are leaving instead of just letting them leave naturally throughout the story. Like, I feel like instead of saying the two officers nod and leave, um, you could definitely be more, like, after saying this, Amophatitis, I, I know, I'm, I know I'm not getting that name right, turned his attention back to whatever. But at the same time, you did say turned his attention already. But you could do something along those lines. Like, I don't know. Just an idea. Back with the Midas. Also, you are switching point of views quite often. This is my fourth point of view, and I'm only halfway through chapter one. And although third person allows you a little bit more leeway with that kind of stuff, it is a little uh, hard to keep up with what is really going on because I feel like I'm getting so much information from so many different point of views right now and it's hard to know who's 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 where and who's who I, I believe Amidas is the Spartan and I know that I heard something about Persians but I don't remember anything because I've just been switching back and forth so often so just to like really keep that in mind I try to when I write in third perspective I try to keep it between one or two point of views um, and you really got to make sure you're kind of doing those in a really fluid natural way so I mean like the whole bag with a Midas I guess you, that does work but it just kind of makes it that much more obvious that we are switching point of views quite often Back with the Midas, he was at his tent on the east side of camp. As he enters his tent, he set aside his shield and helmet and lay down on his bed to rest. Only he could not fall asleep. His mind was on other things. The thought of tomorrow's battle was all he could dream. I think he meant all he could dream of. He had been training for this his entire life. Now the moment was here. Letting his mind rest for tomorrow, he closes his eyes and drifts off into sleep. The next morning, he and the rest of the army get ready for battle. Some of the men wash, others simply put their armor on. Helmets, shields, body armor, spears, and swords were polished and ready for battle. Imam Frateris was at the head of the army, wearing his favorite red cape into battle. Its red color casts a shadow that blankets the army. With his officers beside him, he orders the army to march in close formation. Held together, they then walk away from the town and join the rest of the coalition. As the army marched across the grassy field, one Spartan officer sees the faint outline of the Persians across from them. Among the terrace halts the Spartans several yards away from the main army. In clear view, they could see their hated foe. The remaining Persians' army consisted of the infantry, cavalry, and the Persian army's deadliest unit, the Immortals, the same group that killed the 300 Spartans. Amidas breathes heavily and tightens his grip on his shield and spear. His palms were sweaty. <laughs> I'm sorry, my mind is so tired that when I heard, when I read palms are sweaty, I then thought of knee, knees, weak arms, spaghetti 
from you know the little Eminem meme. Moving on, <laughs> and his breathing was rapid. Trained to be superhuman, the young Spartan could feel a cold shiver of fear run up his spine. One Spartan to his left nudges him out of his trance. Quit worrying so much; it'll get us killed. The older Spartan was right. Fear in the ranks would doom everyone. Taking a moment to calm himself, Amidas hardened his gaze at the Persians. No one dared to say anything. The Spartans prepared themselves for the enemy. Suddenly, the Persian cavalry, only several yards away, begins to charge. Not too far behind, Mordonius and his immortals follow quickly behind. So, one thing I want to point out is I don't really like it. I know this is their person perspective, so you can kind of be a little bit more freeing with the whole various characters but I still do believe that you should introduce a character properly to the main character before referring to their perspective like um, in one of my stories even though it's their perspective my main female character when she sees somebody that she likes she calls their name and kind of I have her conversing with that character that she's interested in for like a couple paragraphs and then only when I felt like it was appropriate and he had been introduced well enough did I switch to his perspective momentarily um but I mean that's just my belief I believe that you should just introduce the characters with the main characters before calling them by name to the readers that's just how I like to see things I don't know if that's actually a correct way of doing it or not that's just how I like to see the flow happen. So it's just my personal opinion. Amalfiteras gives the orders for a shield wall or phalanx. The men tighten formation and lean forward with shields in front to protect and their spears poised ahead to thrust. With the enemy rushing towards them, Amalfiteras gives the order to counterattack. In tight formation, the Spartans charge at the enemy. As the battle began, as the battle began, the sounds of boots and Horse hooves thunder across the grassy plains in the morning air. The chants—I'm sorry, I lost my place. The chants from both the Spartan and Persian forces fill the skies. As the two armies closed the distance between them, time seemed to stop all around them. There was no noise, no birds, no horses, not even the sounds of men prepared for battle. I wouldn't even say it's prepared for battle at that point because you're kind of in battle now. I mean, I guess preparing to die. I digress. In that split moment, there was nothing. The next moment... Also, I don't know if I said this in the previous thing that stopped without me realizing it, but I'm not ignoring the repetition I'm finding, it's just that it is happening rather frequently, so I feel like if I just pointed it out every single time, I'd never get through the chapter. So I'm not ignoring it, I know it's there. It's just I've already pointed it out multiple times, and I feel like by now you can probably hear it as well as I can. And I'm sorry if that comes off rude. <laughs> the next moment happens so suddenly. Shields bash into each other, spear-piercing armor and flesh, dying men screaming for their mothers. Amidas could hear all of this. The fighting was up close and brutal. Midas and a few other Spartans break formation once the Persian defense crumbles. Also, since this has been Midas's point of view for at least three paragraphs, um, 
I definitely think it is okay to use he and him. Because if he was said, I might as hear all of this, the fighting was so close and brutal, he and a few other Spartans break formation once the Persian defenses crumble. Because when you say he after you've already said a Midas the first time, that's still giving knowledge that this is still a Midas. This is still his perspective. Um, just, yeah, just because like saying their name over and over again can get a bit tedious. No prisoners, no mercy, a Midas shouted at the top of his lungs. In his fury, see, he did it right there. So you know, you know, you know. In his fury, he launches himself at a group of Persian immortals. I don't think you need to say specifically Persian immortals because we know that the immortals, because you kind of introduced them that way, belong to the Persian army. So therefore, saying Persian immortals is kind of like when you kept on saying the Greek scout or the Greek commanding officer talking about the Greek soldiers. Like, we know. So it's just kind of unnecessary repetition at that point. Bloodlust consumed him as he began to attack his Persian enemies viciously. The young Spartan attacks were a mix of ferocity and skill. He bashes one enemy shoulder, <laughs> one enemy soldier, with a shield and stabs in the heart with the tip of his spear. Blood oozes out of the soldier's chest as he weakly tries to remove the spear. Amidas rips the spear out of out and continues to fight. The carnage ensues for hours as more Persians begin to lay the field. More and more were huddled together and slowly killed by the encompassing Spartan army. Today is the day when Persia dies. Amidas' helmet and shield were covered in blood as he continues to hack down more Persians. He then kicks a, sol a soldier and raises his sword to finish him. However, before he delivers a blow, he hears a sound of thunder come, come over him. As he looks up into the sky, he sees dark clouds approaching. Something inside him told him to worry. This was no ordinary storm. The clouds appear darker than usual. Both sides stop fighting as they look up into the sky. Suddenly, streaks of blue lightning fall upon the soldiers. Persians and Greeks alike were vaporized by the flash. Only their, only their weapons remained. Chaos took the field as soldiers tried to run from the lightning. Amidas himself tries to flee, but the Spartan is stuck with, struck with such force and power unlike anything before. Suddenly a loud, in all caps, crack consumes in the middle of the battle. I don't like the capitalization of the word crack because it just is not needed whatsoever. Saying a suddenly a loud crack consumes, I'm going to hear the sound you're trying to give off without the capitalization. The lightning engulfs the Spartan and scorches the earth around him. However, the lightning did not incinerate him instantly. Instead, he feels himself being torn apart piece by piece. He screams in agony as the pain is unbearable. Then the lightning disappears. The only part of Amidas left at Plataea is the scorched earth where he once stood. Alright, so that's the end of chapter one. So, after reading both the prologue and chapter one, I must say, you have some severe repetition. <laughs> It's very consistent throughout the story, and it was a bit tedious to keep reading the same words over and over again. Um, I know I say this a lot in my podcast, but I'm going to say it again. Google is your best friend. If you are not certain, um, if you catch yourself being repetitive, then just Google another word for 
scorched another word for <laughs> I can't think of another example but I know it's there um, it's just that was probably my biggest con with reading this it's just I kept on reading the same stuff over and over again and it, it's just it is what it is but it definitely was something I could not look over uh, your grammar overall is not awful uh, just definitely calm down with the commas uh, commas definitely do not replace they're, they're not a replacement for breaks I mean you can use them but just be careful because they're so easy to just be like comma 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 so you don't have to use the dreaded period I totally get it <laughs> um, and you know another thing is um, the repetition of the names of the characters and or what army they belong to also, I'm not sure if this was in my other podcast or not, and if it was, I'm sorry. I don't remember what I said in that 30-minute one. But, um... What was I saying? I just had the thought in my head, and now it's gone. So I'm gonna move on from that. Pro-wise, I think your structure is pretty well. Like, it's... You, you separate your dialogue from your paragraphs, so it's not getting lost in there, and I like that. I appreciate it a lot. Um, you gave me a setting to go by, and that was pretty great. Oh, it was the military and the military service thing. I don't really think that you could call it a military career or a military service back then, because Spartans, to my knowledge, were bred, bred, get my bred. They were kind of like born into war. They they were essentially women had met like would try to have boys to produce warriors it wasn't like a career choice it's not like they're like you know i want to be a baker no it was you're a boy so from a young age you're gonna be taught war you're gonna be taught how to fight you're gonna be taught how to hold a shield up like this is a lifestyle it's not like you get a choice in the matter um I mean, you certainly could probably be like, fuck you, I'm out of here, and probably leave, probably be banished, probably be killed. I don't know the fucking rules, but I do know that I it was not a career choice. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is for realisticness. Realism? I'm tired, guys. <laughs> and you just want to make sure that you're sticking to the time zone that you have set your book in. If this was a present day and you said military service or military career, that would absolutely be correct. But this was not a career choice for them. This was their life. So, just want to keep that in mind. Um, aside from that, like I don't, I don't dislike your story. I think it's actually pretty good for the most part. I think your descriptors should need some polishing, but they're not they're not that bad. Like I definitely would continue reading this story especially if like the repetition was fixed um so yeah i mean i hope that this review didn't come off too harshly um you know me being exhausted is not an excuse for being rude so i apologize if i was uh but yeah overall um i really hope that you continue writing and i'm going to keep an eye on this story and if you do end up fixing it or you polish it in some way and you think that you want to, you know, bring your book back onto my podcast and have me re re 
re-review it, that is something we absolutely can discuss. And, you know, I'd be more than happy to do because I want, you know, I do these reviews in order to help and give another perspective. Um, obviously, like, I'm not always right. So, <laughs> yeah. But, alright guys. I am going to end this podcast now and maybe relax. So, until next time. Bye!